Crinder Winchester here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women Podcast, where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 33, where we are announcing our fiction shortlist for the Reading Women Award. It's the best time of the year. Absolutely. It is. I just want to sing, like, it's the most wonderful yes. time of the year. Yes. But nobody wants yes. us to sing. Nope. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I can't believe it's already been a year since the first award came out. Oh, it's insane. And we had the hardest time picking books this year. We did. Like, the past two months have been, like, lists of lists and reading schedules and, oh, my goodness, narrowing it down. It's been quite the ride. It's been crazy. But I'm really excited about our picks and who we have and what we're going to be talking about. And, yeah, I'm just excited. And I'm very proud of us. Like, there were no drop-down, drag-out, you know, disagreements. Like, we generally were like, yep. Yeah, I think we are pretty much unanimous yep. on all of these. Okay, so what we what we wanted to do for you guys is tell you a little bit about how this is going to work because this is a little different than our normal yes. format. Do you want to do the honors? Oh, sure. For today is November 1st, if you're listening to this on the day it came out. So today, the fiction shortlist will be out. The 15th, so in two weeks, the nonfiction shortlist will be out. And then on December 6th, we'll be announcing the winners of the Reading Women Award, and we'll do like an, our regular discussion episode for them. Absolutely. So I think it's time to start talking about which books have made the fiction shortlist. <sighs> yep. Why am I nervous? I feel nervous. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It just feels so momentous. Well, we didn't do a short list last year. We just did runner-ups. But this year, we really wanted to highlight more books. And so we did, we've picked six books. Well, we just went, we picked a bunch of books that do fit, like, our mission and our goal for this podcast and kind of reflect what we're trying to do. So if, you listen, if you've listened to our podcast for a while, you know that Kendra says in our introduction that we talk about books by or about women. And so one of the things that we realized before we started the podcast is that a lot of the books that were being published and were getting awards were books written by men and or about men, but particularly by men. And if I go back and look through my books read in the years before this, we started this, they're mostly all men. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just that it's important to have a diverse, wide reading life. And so that's why we started this podcast, to kind of counterbalance the oversaturation of the same type of books everywhere. So these are the books that we picked reflect this mission in that they're all written by women. A lot of them have strong female protagonists or are centered around women. Not all of them, but a majority of them. And we tried to pick a wide selection of voices as well. Yeah, and one of the things that we particularly wanted to know were books that we felt had been overlooked in the book buzz of the year um, as well. Some not so much, but some as well. So we do have a balance of that as well. So we, I also want to add as a footnote that these are books that we think that all readers should read. They're not just books that are for women, written by women, written for women, only women should read them. We think that these are books that all readers of all types will enjoy reading exactly. these books. So, yeah. So I guess I'm first. Okay, so first pick is The Weight of Him by Ethel Rowan, and it is published by St. Martin's Press. And we had the great delight to talk to Ethel earlier this year, and she was fantastic. But The Weight of Him is about a man named Billy Brennan, whose son has committed suicide. And Billy is a 400-pound man who's always used food as a way to cope with 
difficult situations. And so in this very difficult situation of his son committing suicide, he, he decides to start a campaign for to raise money for suicide prevention, and he wants to lose half of his body weight. So he weighs 400 pounds, so he wants to lose 200 pounds because he says that he lost half of himself when his son died. There were a lot of reasons that we liked this book. Do you want to start off with the reasons, Kendra? Yeah. So we really loved this book because it really struck home, and we, after you're finished, you're kind of in like this like state of book homeness, and you think about it, and it's just the parallels between... Billy losing his son, and then also um, he's basically committing slow suicide by eating the way he he was. And so by choosing to try to lose weight for his son, he's kind of like choosing life. And at the same time, he's trying to learn why his son did what he did. So he's studying like the reasons behind suicide. Um, and I thought Ethel did a great job of looking at suicide and telling you about it without um, being too triggering. Um, she also just gives different responses to suicide. So like his wife grieves a different way. And then also Billy meets a lot of other uh, family members and parents that have met uh, that their children had committed suicide. Oh, one thing I also appreciated was the fact that I felt like her portrayal of the characters was pretty realistic. Like she doesn't try to gloss over the tragedy of the situation and she doesn't try to gloss over the different perspectives that people have about Billy and the perspectives that he has of himself. And you don't read a lot of books about suicide, like where it talks about it head on. And so she handled it very well. And it's an important topic. It is. And she was telling us in the interview that um, in Ireland, it's pretty much an epidemic uh, that teen suicide is. And uh, so she was very you know, careful in how she researched it and looked at it. And I just thought she just did an amazing job. And I haven't really stopped thinking about it since you know I finished it. Yeah. And the plot was just so unique, too. I feel like when you read a lot of books, I feel like it becomes harder and harder to find really unique kind of stories. And I feel like this one was unlike anything I'd ever read before. Yeah. And Billy was such a memorable character because he had, even though like he struggled with the way his parents had treated him as a child and he had his certain way of dealing with that, he still was a very positive minded character. He had a lot of hope and a lot of drive to do something and to make a difference. And I feel like there's always these pessimistic characters that people think are more quote-unquote literary, but Billy was just so different and a different take on what a character could be, and I just really appreciated that. And for whatever reason, we need, like, people need to be talking about this book more, because I haven't seen it on BookTube or really on Instagram or anywhere, so you definitely need to pick this up and, and read it. It's so good. Absolutely. And she also, too, I think it's important to note, she doesn't portray Billy as being broken because he's overweight. It's not like she's body shaming him or anything like that. It's definitely like she shows how it's more complex than that. And you just have to read the book. <laughs> that I'll just leave yeah. it with that. And if you're interested in hearing more about what she said about her writing process and kind of the research that she did and the experiences that she had that led up to her reading this book, then I highly recommend you go back and find our podcast episode where we talked to her she, she was great to talk to. So the first pick on our shortlist is The Weight of Him by Ethel Rowan, and it is out by St. Martin's Press. So our next pick is Stay With Me by Aobami Adebayo, and this is out from Knopf. And this book just blew me away. And it... I had been, I, I didn't even know, like, I, I have no words. So when I picked up this book, like, it's a short book, like, it's only, it's just under 300 pages, but what she does is she covers so much in such a short amount of space. And so the summary 
is that uh, Yejide is married to Akin, and they are wanting a child. And they live in Nigeria, uh, in a more uh, a small town, Nigeria. And so they have been married for about four years. And then after about four years, she discovers that her husband is semi being forced to marry another woman in hopes that uh, he would be able to have a child. And I really appreciated how Aobami explained the different cultural situations. So, for example, if um, someone did that to me and and my in-laws forced my husband to marry someone else, I would have been very angry, you know? And she was. She was. But she also helps describe that if she had responded how I am thinking I would respond, that would be such a huge deal in the family, and it could actually break up the family, and that there are higher stakes in how you treat your elders and different things than there are in America. And that's just an example of how she communicates um, social norms and different things. And it was just Oh, oh, my goodness. Yeah, and this was a page-turner. I read it in, like, 32 hours, I think. It, I mean, like, I read it so almost in one sitting. It was, like, two sittings. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Like, I thought I knew what this book was going to be. No, and I thought I knew where it was going, and I was wrong every time. And the, it's really beautiful, like, how the plot unfolds. Like you said, you know, you think it's going one direction, and then I felt like she very slowly guides you down the path and then you realize that details she gave you earlier lead to the what's revealed later, but you don't know at the time that that's what that's saying. And it's just so good. So, like, by the time I got to the end, like, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, she did. She told us what was going on at the very beginning. And I just had no clue. Yeah, that was really impressive. And, you know, with yesterday experiencing infertility, I think a lot of times when we read about infertility, one, they're either tragic figures who, like, their life ends if they don't have a child, or two, like, we don't get the man's perspective on infertility, and we definitely do. We actually do have little um, sections or parts of chapters or whatever from Atkins' perspective, and we see what he was also thinking and feeling um, when, you know, his in-laws, like, brought this random woman that he was supposed to marry and, and different things. Yeah, I thought it was cool that she did show both perspectives of the problem, even though we don't really find out until later. And two, I think you had told me that she wanted to... So she's from Nigeria, and, you know, Chimamanda Adichie is also from Nigeria. So she wanted to show the more rural side, whereas Chimamanda shows the more city side of Nigeria. So it was cool to, having read some, having read Americana, it was interesting to contrast it with this book as well. And, I mean, as two people who are very passionate about regional diversity in our own country, I really appreciated how she wanted to do that in Nigeria as well, which is great because there, she was talking about um, in several different interviews about how, you know, while polygamy wasn't as prominent as it used to be, it was still a thing in some um, more smaller towns. I mean, considered, you know, as opposed to the capital. And so I really appreciate how she showed that and she showed how the different generations and Yejide, the female protagonist is a, a product of polygamy her parents you know her dad has several wives and so you could see that generationally how that affected you know her family yeah and everything about this book is just great like it's so tight and it's yeah. so well i mean like i said i read it in almost so good. one sitting and i never do that so <laughs> i think that was my goodreads review <laughs> So uh, that is Stay With Me by Aubami Adebayo, and that is all from Knopf. So then the next book on our list is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, and it is published by Grand Central Publishing, and oh my goodness, this book. (laughs) I like big books. I cannot lie. (laughs) Yes. 
And this almost 500-page novel was such a pleasure to read. I just want to start out by saying that it was every page was... I wanted it to be longer. I I know! (laughs) I know! It's so good! Um, So, Pachinko is the story of a Korean family, and it is a multi-generational story. And the family starts out living in Korea in the early 1900s. And then they end up moving to Japan. And so it's well at the beginning it's mostly through the eyes of Sunja, who is the daughter of a poor family living in Korea. And very early on we find out that she's pregnant and so that complicates things in a hurry. And that's part of the reason that the family ends up moving to Japan, but I won't get ahead of myself. And so then it f- follows the family like after they moved to Japan and everything that happens to them afterwards. And there were a couple of things that I really enjoyed about the story. One is that the family is very matriarchal, which I don't feel like is as well, I could be wrong, but you know, so it's a, it's a matriarchal family, which is just treat to get to see it from that perspective. And then also I felt like I learned about a people group that I didn't know anything about at all. Yeah, and when we talked to Min Jin Lee in the interview, she talked about how, you know, Koreans in Japan, they don't actually have citizenship, even though they've been in there for, you know, in Japan for generations. But, you know, when Korea became, was split into North and South Korea, their country no longer existed. So they literally could not go back home because they didn't have anywhere. And so they fell through this loophole. And then she talks about the different uh, uh, restrictions that were put on Korean people and that at a certain time, your child basically, or a certain, if you were born within a certain window, you had to go register um, and they could actually immediately deport you if they decided that they don't, didn't want you in the country anymore. And uh, like, like Autumn said, the, the family is held together by the women in the family. And you see a lot of the struggle between the, uh, the, the patriarchal sexist culture and then but the women are really the one who work together and and get it together and there's a lot of times when the men will be sick and the women have to make sure that people you know are fed and different things and it was just it was just so good and I I, I loved every second <laughs> I know I'm just like thinking like if I had the book I would be hugging it to my chest right now like well it is I mean I might yeah it's a, it's a beautiful book too, so it's not something that you would be ashamed to carry around. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so now, if you see me tomorrow and I'm like this hugging my this book, to my chest, book. <laughs> the plan my outfit around it. I also think too that like the title Pachinko. So Pachinko is this kind of like a pinball game is the best way I can think of to describe it. It's kind of like Plinko. If you ever watched The Price is Right as a kid, um, which if you didn't, you're probably much more cultured than I am. But it's like Plinko on the prices right. Or if you don't if you want to see a real machine, you can go and Google it and there's like tons of videos on YouTube of pachinko machines. Um, but it's kind of it's this game of chance where you pull the lever and the ball goes up and comes down on these pins and depending on where it lands, you get a certain amount of points and win a certain amount of money. So the book mirrors that in a lot of ways or reflects that in a lot of ways in that, you know, the family is kind of set on this trajectory and we're just waiting to see where they land and what the outcome is. And you do see them rise in status in some point, but at it's more complicated than that. So it's not just like a rags to riches kind of, kind of story. There's a lot of complexity and a lot of heartache and trouble along the way. And yeah, it's good. 
And I will say too, I think we mentioned, I'm not sure if we mentioned this yet or not, but she did a lot of research to write this book. So she told us that she actually went to Japan and interviewed Koreans living in Japan and kind of got firsthand accounts of things that actually happened. So she said a lot of the events in the book are actually based off of stories that she heard from real people. So to me, that just adds a level of authenticity to it that you just can't beat. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) I need to give you a moment, Autumn. That is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, and it is published by Grand Central Publishing. And that brings us to our first sponsor spot, which is us. Woo-hoo! Go us! So we are talking about our Patreon today. And so we have, if you didn't know, we have a Patreon. And so what we use it for is to give you guys a little bit more inside look about what's going on. So we have every week we have Fur Baby Friday, which is just an excuse to post photos of our fur children and tell you what's going on the next week so you always know a little bit ahead of time what's going to come out. And who wouldn't want to see cute pictures of animals every week? Just saying. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, We are also working on some cool things for the holiday season. And so last week we asked our Patreon members to give their feedback on it. And they helped us come to a great decision that we're really excited about. And also we just get to interact with you more. And you get to tell us about what you're reading. And we get to tell you about what we're doing. And it's just, I don't know. We just chat. Yeah, and then every month you have like an insider newsletter. There's a bunch of different levels, and whatever level you choose, we greatly appreciate it. And if you just want access to the Patreon like feed, that's just a dollar, and it goes from there up, and then you have different things that you can do. And so you can decide um, what you want, and then everything from a personal book recommendation that we would mail you every month just to have access to the feed. So there's a wide range of things. You can go check that out. Every bit of it goes straight back into the podcast, whether it's using it to host giveaways or pay for hosting or anything like that. It just every bit of it goes back into the podcast so that way we can keep interviewing cool authors and promoting and promote books by or about women. So you can check it out. We'll have a link in our show notes, and we'd love to talk to you more over there. And that brings us to our next pick, which is The Strays by Emily Biddo, and is out from 12 books. Now, guys, I really, really adore this book. Uh, I read this earlier, and I started it, like, a, what, 10 or 11 at night, and I just read it straight through. <laughs> I think I woke up the next morning and had, like, 15 text messages, like... <laughs> Autumn, I know you're asleep, but you need to stop sleeping and read this book. Exactly. (laughs) Because it is just so incredibly beautiful. And I read a lot of amazing books, but when I notice how gorgeous the writing was and just the story, it was so captivating. And so it's uh, set in... Was it 1930s, 1920s? 1930s. 1930s Australia and around Melbourne. And it's about this artist colony. And we, our perspective um, is from a young girl's perspective. And so Lily uh, becomes good friends with Eva and uh, her Eva's sisters. And her Eva's dad is a really famous modernist artist. And there's like this commu- commune at, at this giant house. And the very house itself is like a character in the story. Almost the entire book is set at this house and it doesn't feel stifled you just feel so sucked in just like Lily was sucked in to the community and just awed by this family um we we feel the same thing it's oh my goodness and one thing I really liked about this book is that I don't have a very nuanced perspective of Australia just because of 
society. And so reading this book, it was so amazing to get to read about Australia and the culture and the arts culture and what a day in the life is like there. And it was definitely a perspective I hadn't read about before. And the plot itself, like, even though it covers a large span of time and it's only like 240 pages, she just covers so much so seamlessly. A lot of times when authors do that, they like leave gaps or you feel like you miss something, but she just does it so beautifully. And then you go on to when they're older and there's a lot of complications and different things that happen. And, uh, and it is, oh my goodness. Like, I feel like she really set the scene in the first part of the book where she talks about the twin souls where like people are reincarnated and mm-hmm. rejoin and find each other in their next life and different things. And that is beautifully played out throughout this entire book. And you kind of feel like no matter what happens, they will always find each other again. Yeah. And another thing too is like, so last year, one of the books we, the nonfiction winner of the reading women award last year was all the single ladies. And there was a chapter in there about female friendship. And ever since I read that book, I've been looking for female friendships. And this book is a beautiful portrayal of female friendship and the power of it. And, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as it were, about it. And it was just an amazing thing to read about. I haven't seen it very much as I as I would like to, because I think it is just incredibly beautiful and nuanced and atmospheric and all of the beautiful things that I want in an amazing piece of fiction about women and about women's relationships. And it's just all about women. And I think in particular, she really focuses on that because we learn about all of these male artists. And, you know, we have female artists, but that's not really the focus. The focus is on, you know, the wives and the daughters and the women kind of around like orbiting these men and she kind of switches it and makes the women the center stage uh, you know the center of the the story and it's just an amazing job and how their lives are so incredibly important to you know the the artist's life as a whole and i will say too as a footnote when you buy a copy not if when you buy a copy copy get the edition by 12 books because the cover is just it's stunning mm. It, it, I think like, stunning. if the book were a painting, it would be that cover. I think so. Yeah, I want to frame it and just put yeah. it on my wall. Mm-hmm. So it did make the rounds a little bit because of the cover, but I, I didn't see it much after that, So, which is sad because people should be reading this book more. more. All, All the time. time. Over and over. Okay, now you're just kidding. <laughs> I think it's time to wrap this thing up. A continuous loop of the strays. Um, so, yeah, that was The Strays by Emily Biddo, and that is out by 12 Books. So, the penultimate pick, because I just like to say that word and I don't have many option, many opportunities to do so, is The Lonely Hearts Hotel by Heather O'Neill, and this book is published by Riverhead Books, and oh my goodness, If you like books with magical elements, then this book is a book that you will love. I wouldn't... Would you call it magical realism? No. Okay. I wouldn't either. Duh. (laughs) I think that's the beauty of the book. It walks the line. Yeah, I think it does. Um, I mean, the cover does say that if you... Or the... One of the blurbs I read said something about if you liked The Night Circus, then you would like this book. And I think that's probably true. Anyway... 
It's the story of two orphans, um, Piero and Rose, and they grow up in the same orphanage. But then when they become old enough to leave the orphanage, they're sent on two different paths. And for a lot of reasons that are spoilers that I won't talk about, they lose track of each other for a long time. But they always like remember each other because they they formed this connection when they were in the orphanage and they started performing. Piero is a very gifted piano prodigy and Rose was a dancing prodigy. And so they developed this act, like this performance act, like kind of spontaneously almost. And people would come and see them and they traveled and this was before they got separated. So then when they got separated, they lost track of each other and both deal with a lot of they get separated, and then the Great Depression happens shortly thereafter. So they have to deal with a lot of pro- poverty and homelessness and all kinds of really depressing things. Yeah. And even though, like, a lot of difficult topics are, are covered in this book, so there's uh, child abuse, um, there's just, uh, you know, abuse against women, there's a lot of, you know, drug use, different things in the book, it never feels too much. The way that Heather O'Neill so carefully handles all of these difficult topics, you never feel overwhelmed by it. You never feel, like, just slugged in the face. She just has this light touch, and she just does it so incredibly well. She really does. And one of the things that we, we actually got to interview her as well, one of the things we discussed when we were talking to her was about how loneliness is often not addressed head on in books. Uh, loneliness is more portrayed as like an absence, like you you feel it. But she actually shows the things that people are willing to do and the things that loneliness kind of drives people to do. And because of that, it there can could potentially be some triggering elements in it. But it's never gratuitous, and Heather really shows, like, why they're acting the way that they do, and it's really moving, actually. It is. It is. And you start out, like, she does She does such a great job with the characters, with Rose and Piero, and you usually, like, you feel... It's funny, the interesting that I've talked to people, either you love one or you love the other like the most. But what I love what she does is they kind of cross paths as they develop. They kind of meet in the middle and then they continue progressing in different ways. And I can't tell you exactly what that means because that would be such a spoiler. But just know that that is there. (laughs) And I feel like often Piero starts where Rose was and Rose ends where Piero was. And she just does such a great job combining their stories and paralleling them and illustrating the different ways that as you know autumn said that people manifest loneliness and what they do and i think the reason that people compare it to the night circus is because rose and piero are performers and there's a lot of clown and circus elements to the book and it feels like it's magical like there's going to be magic around the next corner but it's always just around the next corner it's like Mm. i want to go to montreal now because of course it has magic (laughs) like (laughs) obviously (laughs) It is very magical feeling. I'm as I'm talking about it, I'm realizing that I need to reread this book soon, very soon. The atmosphere is just perfect and like I think of all the snow and the glitter that I felt like through the entire book and it is is incredible. 
and it's you know it's set in the Great Depression too, which I mentioned, which but from the Canadian perspective, like not from the American perspective, which is also interesting. And obviously, we live in America, so that's the story we got. But anyway, that's a tangent. Um, so that is the Lonely Hearts Hotel by Heather O'Neill, and it is out by Riverhead Books. And is this the last one? <gasps> oh my goodness. Well, I think it will be surprising zero of our listeners, unless you, like, randomly stumbled upon this podcast today, that our last pick is Sing Unburied Sing by Desmond Ward, and it's out from Scribner. I know, right? Right? So, like, you knew you knew it was coming, right, guys. Right. So, But we just had to leave you in suspense right. by having it last. So, a short summary of the book. Uh, this book is about JoJo. Um, who's living with his grandparents, Mam and Pop, and that is because his mom is often in and out because she is a drug addict. Um, his, JoJo's dad is white, and he is in prison. So one day, uh, his dad is coming out of prison, and so his mom, Leonie, grabs JoJo and Kayla, and they decide to make the trek up to the prison, um, which is north. Um, they go through Mississippi to get, you know, his dad. And what's interesting about this book isn't just, like, the fact that you know, it's this journey up to go get his dad. But there's a lot of things that you never thought would be in the book. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what's going on because I've heard some blurbs give these spoilers. And I'm like, why? <laughs> I don't know. It really talks a lot about the prison system in Mississippi. And the prison where Jojo's dad is being held is actually where his is the prison where his grandfather was held. And there's a lot of uh, discussion about how black men were treated in the prison versus how white men are treated in the prison and just the history of incarceration of men of color. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of parallelism, too, between the way that uh, JoJo's grandfather grew up, which was a time when um, it was like, I think we think it's like in the 60s. I don't know that it's ever very clear. Um, and kind of the racism that he encountered, because he's also like half Native American. Jojo being a, a biracial kid growing up in the South, and like he's still facing some discrimination too. So there's just a lot of, uh, it, for a very short book, there's a lot packed into it. Yeah. And of course, the book carries with it Jasmine Ward's, you know, signature style the way that she writes about things, it makes you uncomfortable and just aware of different things. So, for example, in, like, one of the first scenes of the book, uh, the grandfather is slaughtering a goat for JoJo's birthday, and that's, like, a big deal. And she actually describes, you know, how, you know, the goat is killed and butchered and different things, but she's bringing you onto the scene and just into the life. And just like Salvage the Bones, where you were very aware of how these you know how this family lived it's the same way in this book and i feel like it just does such a great job and ma'am jojo's grandmother has cancer and so we also get you know a lot of details about that and it makes you just uncomfortable and you feel jojo's uncomfortableness you you just feel the things that he feels and experience those things just through her vivid style it is absolutely gorgeous this book needs to be read out loud it's like a requirement yeah it is beautiful so i also recently read the fire this time and I felt like her first essay in that book about her family and trying to learn more about her family and just this whole quest that she's been on to learn more about her roots really influenced this book just talking about her heritage and like the place where she lived and I can really see that she pulled from those themes as she was writing it and I think also like with this book like she follows a long line of heritage of strong um, African-American women writers who have like you could just see every you know like you have Gloria Naylor and Toni Morrison and 
Um, and Jasmine Ward just seems to be in that vein, and it's beautiful and gorgeous, and I just love her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what else is there to say? It's Jasmine Ward. Go go read it. <laughs> One thing, too, that really resonated with me is kind of the, the past, and I won't go into too much detail because it will be a spoiler, um, but the different ways that the characters deal with the past and the past that they kind of passed in, like, P-A-S-T, like, things that happened previously in their heritage and how they carry that around with them and how it affects their lives in a very tangible sort of way, which I feel like is something that for a Southern book in particular is really important because the South has a lot of baggage. So she, she portrays that really well, obviously, but that really resonated with me. That's what I was getting to. No. Yeah. It was really well done. And we're really struggling not to give spoilers. Yeah, it's hard. with this one, it's hard not, I know, and it sounds like we're being really vague, but it's intentional that we're being vague, because there's a huge plot point that's a huge spoiler, but it's kind of like the whole book revolves around it, and we don't want to get spoilers, so. And I have read five billion reviews on the internet that give away the, the spoiler, and I just I get really annoyed, because I didn't know it was in the book when I first read it, and so I feel like everyone should have that non-spoilery experience. Exactly. <laughs> So it's like I wouldn't talk to Autumn while she was reading it. She's like, it's so good. I'm like, I'm going to wait to say anything until she's done. She's like, what page are you at? What page are you at? And I'm like, she's like I don't want to spoil it. I'm like, well, then just wait till I'm done. It's like, well, you keep giving me updates. Because it's so good. <laughs> that is a, a glimpse into our lives on a daily basis. I think that's everything. Um, so, so that is Sing and Buried Sing by Jasmine Ward. Um, and as we mentioned, uh, we have interviews or Q&As with uh, most of these authors, so we will link all of those down in the show notes, and you can go check those out um, and learn a little bit more about why we love these authors, because we love every single one of them. And I will say that we didn't pick these books because we interviewed the authors. We picked the books because we liked them, and the interviews happened afterwards. Yeah, because we planned for this all year, so... <laughs> Hashtag disclaimer. <laughs> Hashtag disclaimer. Um, I think yeah, that, I think that's everything. Whoa, can't believe we're at the end of the fiction shortlist already. I know, right? So as as a reminder, we'll have the nonfiction shortlist coming out in two weeks. And then on December 6th, we'll announce the winners of both nonfiction and fiction uh, prizes. So uh, definitely, you know, reach out on social media. Tell us what you think, because we're really excited about this list. There's so many stellar uh, authors. Just, it was a good reading year. It really was a good reading year. It was very hard to choose. It was hard to choose. So come back in two weeks, and we'll you'll hear another shortlist. But in the meantime, um, if you uh, want to leave us a review in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast, it'd be greatly appreciated. It really makes our day, and we love hearing from you. And also, don't forget, we have the Reading Women newsletter, and you can go sign that up at readingwomenpodcast.com slash newsletter, and that will also be linked in our show notes. And that's our show. So join us next time when we will be talking about the nonfiction shortlist for the Reading Women Award. And we are so excited. Of course, obviously, we need to find new descriptors to talk about those books. So be sure to tune in to hear those. And as always, you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter and Instagram and Litzy and other places at Autumn Privet. And you can find Kendra at KDD as in Dylan Winchester at all the places, too. And thank you all so much for listening to the Reading Women podcast. We greatly appreciate your support. Bye, guys. Bye.